Coming to you from Star Studios in Calvert, Texas, this is Coffee with a Sign Painter, a podcast hosted by me, sign painter Sean Starr. Our groovy intro music was written and recorded for this show by Fergal Aller of the Cranberries. Thanks, Fergal. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, so we're talking today with Mike Satterfield of the Gentleman Racer, which is probably what he's best known for, and um, you do a lot of other things. Yeah, kind of, kind of best known for the Gentleman Racer, but dabble in a lot of different different types of things from events and apparel and all kinds of things, whatever whatever catches my fancy, really. And what is the Gentleman Racer? So Gentleman Racer is kind of a lifestyle website and magazine publication. Um, where I just kind of share the stuff that I'm interested in, cars and travel and history and all kinds of just whatever really captures my attention to what I write about. Okay, cool. Um, and uh, last year, and there's the train, <laughs> uh, last year uh, was the first um, Grossbeck Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, the Grossbeck Grand Prix was a big undertaking, uh, a lot of fun. We hosted it out at Old Fort Parker, which is this historic pioneer fort in Grossbeck. And yeah, it was just, it was a fun event. We had a time trial and a classic car show and <laughs> a lot of weather issues and stuff like yeah. that, but it was it was a lot of fun. So um, if I understood it correctly, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, part of it's modeled after that Goodwood Festival in the UK, correct? Yeah, that was kind of the concept was to create a motorsports festival where people could see these classic cars in motion. Uh, a lot of people go to car shows. Almost every town here in Texas has a, a, a car show on the square. But uh, we got some really unique cars together to run down this this closed public road and have the the car show aspect and all that, but also let people see his cars in motion. So yeah, well, it was it was really cool. I mean, for especially for the very you know first inaugural one, I was I was really you know happy to see it all come together. There's people from all over that came and participated. It was a, it was a good event. I'm looking forward to it growing. Yeah, we're uh, we're meeting and trying to work out some details for 2021. Uh, looking at some possible venue changes, uh, just for. Uh, Logistics-wise, we had, you know, as the event grows, uh, that, that area is so limited with parking and things like that that we're looking at some other options. It's a really cool facility, and we hope that we can make it work there. We're talking to some other property owners about borrowing their fields for parking so we can have other entrances to the, to the event. But, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun. We're uh, excited about 2021. Uh, I mean, last year, even with, with all the stuff going on, we had over 400 people from as far away as California and North Carolina come out. So it, it was a, a pretty good event. Yeah, yeah, cool. I enjoyed it. Um, a lot of the people that listen to the show are involved in um, creative pursuits uh, professionally, not just like, you know, hobby artists or, or whatever, but, you know, there's designers, sign painters, obviously, um, you know, different people working in the arts. And I thought it would be interesting to hear your, your perspective as um, someone who, um, you know, you kind of invented something out of thin air. You, you really into cars, you're really into all this stuff, and then you kind of turned that into a way to make a living and keep doing it. Um, and I think that's a subject a lot of people uh, that listen to this are, are interested in is how... Um, 
And it's a subject I think right now that's even more important to examine as people are trying to like sift out where do I go from here after a whole year of craziness and mm -hmm. you know there's still plenty of areas in the world that are still shut down um, but I thought it would be helpful to like talk about that as far as um, I, I guess maybe even put it in the perspective of if, if you were starting today like what would you do like where would you start if you were trying to like kickstart either gentleman race or just some other kind of creative venture yeah so um yeah my background was always kind of in the marketing and creative side of that um graphic design and ad layouts and all that stuff before i started working um on my own which i've been basically fully self-employed since 2007 kind of uh, made that choice to kind of jump out there and, and do that i think that the the biggest thing that people should know is that it's is there's a transition that happens where you decide that you're going to treat it like a business mm -hmm. and actually treat it like a job and, and plan and do things uh, where it crosses over that hobby line and i think that's the biggest thing that i would have probably tried to have done sooner was some organizational structuring and some some things like that to make my life easier like you know bringing in like an invoicing systems and all the stuff that the infrastructure would let me do what I really wanted to do and have all that kind of stuff uh, operate in the background. Um, that That's one thing I think a lot of people miss out on and, and what holds them back is that they, they end up kind of burying themselves in all the busy work of keeping things going instead of just investing in uh, uh, some tools to really make their life a lot easier. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing how much opportunity there is out there. I think I think that's one of the biggest things when I talk to young people that are interested in either what we, uh, we do apparel. So we have a lot of people ask, reach out about doing apparel and things like that. I get people who ask about right, you know, starting as a writer or a photographer and breaking in. And uh, there's a, a young guy that writes for me sometimes that I, I have as a contributor, and he's always asking me, "What do I do? What do I do? What do I do?" And it's like, well, one, stop going and looking for a job. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people that are are are, are built to be great employees, and that's mm -hmm. one thing I think you have to kind of self-assess is are you are you internally motivated enough are you um i In, guess insane enough insane enough to want to take on full responsibility for your life 100 percent because that's really what it comes down to is that yeah. there's no one scheduling my stuff there's no one you know booking my flights there's no one doing all the stuff for me like when i worked for a corporate big uh, auto group i mean i had people that just booked everything for me and I just showed up and it was a whole different world jumping out on my own. I mean, I've got to figure out all the tax stuff yeah. and you know, just all, all the things that go into running a full business and that there's so much opportunity out there. I, I think people have to really determine first off, am I really entrepreneurial enough to do it or do I just need to go find a job at a great company that's going to you know, handle all that stuff for me and give me the creative control to go do the things that I want to do within their company. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. companies that do that. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great point. You, you mentioned something that triggered... Um, last night we watched on uh, Netflix um, that documentary about Notorious B.I.G. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen it. But it was really interesting. I, I'm... That's like the one music genre I know nothing about, never explored. I've like explored everything else, <laughs> and I've just never really been into rap or hip-hop stuff. But I wanted to see his story, you know. And um, 
there's this point towards like right before he blows up and becomes you know this world icon thing that was really interesting where he was dabbling in like selling drugs on the street and stuff and then he would go and do some rap stuff and then he would go back to do selling drugs you know and um he kind of hit this fork in the road and um i don't know all the characters i think it's puff daddy was the guy who was like I don't think he goes by that anymore. <laughs> but um, he he go he he pulls him aside and he's like, "Look, you know, if you keep going this route, you're going to end up dead or in jail, or you can commit fully to doing the music, and we'll just keep going at it until it hits, because I know it'll hit." And so, like, he was kind of at this breaking point, um, and was like, "Okay, I'll listen to you and I'll do it." But it it it, it was really interesting because I thought immediately of so many people that um, have gone into sign painting over the years that once you hit that fork in the road, like you have to go all in. Uh Yeah. You you have to completely commit and just be like, you know, even if I'm living off ramen noodles for the next 10 years, this is what I'm doing. This is, this is my identity, everything. I'm a sign painter. And, um, that falls in line with what you're saying. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you, you and you have to understand, I guess, prepare mentally that you are going to have those ramen noodle months. You're going to have mm-hmm. contractors that or contracts that you you do that they don't pay you for you know sixty days past due. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know all these things. You have to, and you have to kind of prepare yourself to to handle that. And a lot of people, I I think, don't adequately prepare for that so that it, it kind of blows them away and it discourages them. And it takes them off the market really quickly Yeah, when they're literally maybe one or two gigs away from it, it hitting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing I try to always share with people is like, one, if you can work for yourself, do it because you, you'll have the freedom, the flexibility to do the things that you need to do, but also just prepare yourself that there's going to be a lot of hard times. And you could be going gangbusters for 10 years making money hand over fist and then there's something that just happens a pivot a um, pandemic a, a pandemic <laughs> anything yeah i mean anything that happens and all of a sudden all that work just goes away um and i mean in our apparel side of it we saw it uh, we've we've been around doing apparel since 2002 roughly 2003 and we've seen it come in waves where new technology hits. People can buy these inexpensive printers. They're all going to go start their own shirt company. And within you know a year or two, they all go out of business because they aren't really structured like businesses and they're right, running. Right. But for that year, they're absorbing all these other little things that were like kind of bread and butter gigs for our business. And just understanding there's an ebb and flow to things, I think, is really important for uh, people who are going to jump out on their own. That, that yeah, there is there's nothing guaranteed. And... As your own boss, you've really just got to kind of just keep digging through and wake up each day and move forward and find that next thing and just keep pushing. Yeah, yeah. I um, One of the most valuable things I was taught by my dad, you know, who I learned everything from originally, um, was to not get in the trap of creating overhead for yourself, unnecessary overhead for yourself. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I've talked to so many other sign painters, some of them who'd been, you know, uh, painting for 50 plus years, and they all said the same thing. Like, no matter how good things get, don't overextend yourself because you're, it's all going to be followed by a recession or whatever. You know, there's, there's cycles to all of this stuff. And, um, 
you know, I think especially now as people are trying to regroup and figure out, okay, what do I do going forward? What do I want to do with my life? I think I've mentioned this a couple times now in, in recent interviews is if you take it as such, you know, 2020 can be a gift because it it allowed a lot of people, and, and, you know, it, I, I definitely saw it in myself of just over the last 10, 15 years, just being just constantly running next job, next project, you know, now I got to fly here and go do this. Now I got to drive up here, you know, to, to, to get that kind of forced slowdown to regroup, reprioritize, figure out, okay, um, what, what do I really, what do I really want to be doing? And what did I start this all for to be doing? Yeah, and I really feel that it kind of shook out, too, a lot of the pretenders that were in a lot of industries. I mean, in the independent media side, and I mean, my competitors range from everyone from, you know, the, the mom blogger down the street who is, you know, writing a story about a road trip to Car and Driver magazine. So mm-hmm. I've got a huge swath of competitors at all different levels because uh, everyone's competing for the same clicks and that time and all that stuff. But it, it shook loose a lot of the people that, you know, were, were doing it as a hobby or part-time and that when they weren't getting the steady flow of sponsored content or things like that that were paying them, them you know, for their time, they, they just kind of stopped. And we saw a lot of sites, I mean, you know, 2020, they just went away. Uh, and, and, you know, that's the thing, being able to not overextend yourself and, and have... Um, you know, the, the resources to, you know, get through some of these, these low points. I mean, in all of our businesses, we've kind of taken that. I mean, we pay cash for our building. We save up and make sure that, you know, we own our machines and our equipment and things like that. Mm-hmm. So we don't have these, these leases coming due that are, you know, 1500 bucks a month. And all of a sudden we don't have the, the money to make that payment. Now we can't produce anything because our machines are getting seized. You know? So we, we've really taken a very conservative approach to how we built our businesses over the years and, how we're moving forward. I mean, we're renovating our building now in Grossbeck and it's, you know, it, we, we saved up, we, we made sure that we had the, the resource to do and we're, we're paying cash for all the renovations so that we don't have to worry about having a mortgage on that building. So if we do have those lean months, I can pay payroll mm-hmm. instead of like having to, you know, choose between the two. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a whole other animal is, you know, when you get into employees, you know, most, most sign painters and a lot of designers, you know, just, you know, one man show, yeah. you know, go out there, work project to project. Um, but I, you know, I, I think uh, having, you know, lived and worked through, you know, multiple ups and downs with, with recessions and different periods, you know, which, you know, you're for the most part, you're creating signs for business owners. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever the wave is up or down, you're riding that wave right along with everyone else, you know. Um, and it's, it's going to be really interesting going forward to see where it all goes. I mean, I, I think that there's a good possibility that, um, you know, people kind of shake off you know, a really hellacious year and, you know, start to rebuild. It's the human, you know, it, it's who we are. Yeah. I mean, people, people will, will move forward. I mean, in any of these situations, deal with people who obviously come out better um, than other people sometimes. So, I mean, I think one of the biggest traps, a lot of, a lot of people that are entrepreneurs or, you know, you know, independent contractors fall into is, is comparing themselves, especially now with the internet and social media and all that stuff is comparing where they're at to, 
fantasies that are on the internet. Yeah, fantasies is the right word, and, too. And because, that's the thing, yeah. You know, you've met them as well, is, you know, you'll see people with these social media feeds that just look like they're, you know, killing it and they're on top of the world and all this stuff, and then you get to know them or spend any time with them, and you're like, wow, this is all smoke and mirrors. You don't have yeah. anything going on. Yeah, they're paycheck to paycheck, and everything's financed to the hilt. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and I mean, any creative endeavor, you know, it, it's really difficult because so much of our, like, when I design a shirt that's going out there, I mean, a lot of our, our apparel is uh, based on family history. So, like, our brand original cowgirl uh, is all based on my great-grandmother, Anna Joe and her kind of adventures from in northern Texas, like Amarillo to, like, Red River and her home in Prescott. So, it's, it's kind of got a, a feel to it. So, sometimes you design stuff, you put it out there, and, you know, you're putting something very personal out there, mm-hmm. and it doesn't hit. And we, you know how that goes. We all know how mm-hmm. that goes. And I think what separates the people who make it and the people who don't is that they just pivot and roll and the next thing out, the next thing out and keep, keep moving forward. And it's just what you have to do in all these situations is just continually put out your best and just keep moving forward. Yeah. And I, you know, designers and sign painters, you know, I think the, the difference in the almost, I, I won't say disadvantage, but I think business, other business owners would probably view it as a dis- disadvantage is, you know, most of us are not motivated by money. Mm-hmm. You know, we're motivated by working on product uh, projects that creatively challenge us. Um, a lot of us take into consideration who we're working for, who's calling, you know, um, and if we're busy and someone calls who's just, there's just no juice there to do the project. You know, a lot of us will just be like, eh. Yeah. I don't have time for that right now. Um, if you got bills to pay and the electric bills do, then maybe you'll take it. But, <laughs> um, you know, that's what I'm, I'm interested to see, too, is because uh, I know in my case, and, and I've been very fortunate, you know, of getting a lot of media coverage and a lot of really high-profile projects and really cool opportunities that honestly shouldn't come to anybody <laughs> working in a trade that's, you know, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. But... Um, like to a certain extent, I'm done. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You know, um, there was so much, uh, usury in a way over the last 10 years by big companies who latched onto some of us and, um, kind of used us to tap into like, oh, we're authentic. We're using yeah. sign painters and we have this artist designing this thing and he's going to paint it in our whatever, you know. And some of these are like major household name worldwide companies that, you know, we've worked for. And now I'm just like, you know, n- none of those people were, you know, calling up and being like, hey, you know, hey, I, I'm sure you guys are having a tough time right now. Would you like to yeah. work on this or that? You know, it's, it's all in, in at the time I knew they were using us, you know, um, and, yeah, I, and I use that to my advantage. That's why that's why we were able to move down here and get this building and everything is because I had saved up and was like, OK, I'll cash out a little bit and sell out a little bit and yeah. do these projects so that I can get in a situation to where I can now say, yeah, like to a certain extent, I'm out in the sense that I'm really not interested in working with these big companies anymore. That's kind of what I, I decided after 2020 um, with the Gentleman Racer was I, I wasn't going to give press and coverage to companies that weren't supporting 
the site in at least the most basic ways. Like we know automotive companies that won't, won't even loan us a vehicle for a photo shoot or let us tell an authentic story around their product. If you just want to send me your press releases and expect me to just run it in the hopes that one day you might buy an ad from me or one day, you mm-hmm. know, and that's what a lot of these, a lot of people do. And I mean, I've had some tough conversation with some major global brands, brand managers said, Hey, hey you know, we, we, we sent you these press releases. Why aren't you, why aren't you running this on, on XYZ? I said, cause you haven't done anything to make, to, to support me at all yeah. in any way. And I looked at it like, if you're not even willing to, to let me create authentic content that will at least generate ad revenue because it's a unique story, why should I give my time and energy and effort and, and audience your basic PSPR press release? And a lot of it runs through, and it's probably the same a lot of the same group of people because the PR and marketing all kind of mm-hmm. – I find so much of it just gets filtered through New York and Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and then it gets filtered through an, in, an intern who's at that company who's calling you up and going, yeah, we really want to get like, this authentic, really awesome like artwork on the side of a, a, a taco truck. Can you come out and do this for us? And you're like, yeah, I can do that, but what's what's the concept? And they have no idea. They have no mm-hmm. idea like what they're trying to recreate. They have no idea what story they're trying to tell. And uh, we, I, I, like I said, I've been pushing back, and uh, we've actually had some really good conversations with some brands that are just like, yeah, okay, yeah, we, we, we understand we need to, to tell stories. I mean, I just had a, uh, a nightmare scenario with a brand that we did to deal with that, you know, pitched the concept. Concept was telling a story around their product in a way that would really resonate with my audience. And it, it was so obnoxious because after the contract was signed, they then are, are pushing all this stuff and essentially expected me to lie to my audience, pretend that I had an ailment that I didn't have to promote this product line. And I, I told them, pound sand. Yeah. And they could not understand. Well, look, we're buying an ad from it. I said, no, no, you hired me to tell a story that was authentic, was going to work for your brand and connect with my audience. And instead, you sent me over a bunch of marketing speak and inserted m- my, me into it. Yeah, lots of manipulation. I experienced the same thing with a, I'll just say a international pizza chain and leave it at that sure who um, among other things wanted to send this film crew down to film me painting the storefront windows of one of the locations and they were going to do this whole big ad campaign on it and then they wanted to and, and i said well this is cool i said you know there's sign painters i've got friends all over the country there's sign painters all over the country you know, you could do a thing where you've got, you know, let's say you're in Chicago. You can hire right-way signs, and you can have them paint all of your locations in the Chicago area. This will be good for everybody. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you, there's only going to be one painted. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what, do you, what, so what, what is your angle here? Like, what are you thinking? And they're like, well, we're just going to go ahead and print up a bunch of decals and, um, you know, have those put up on the glass. But we want you to paint this because we're trying to rebrand ourselves as being um, uh, that we make handcrafted pizzas. And I'm like, but you don't make handcrafted pizzas. <laughs> like I said, isn't this stuff all like literally trucked in and, and basically they assemble a pizza, but they're, no one's making a handcrafted yeah. pizza. And they're like, yeah, but that's our new that's our new marketing angle for going into this year and all this stuff. And I'm just like. There isn't any way in a million years I'm on board with this. This is terrible. Yeah. I said, this, this is a lie. 
you're going to lie to everybody and they're going to know you're lying and then you're going to have me on a on your video screen for this national commercial like lying with you like I don't want nothing to do with this yeah and I run into it all the time with these marketing groups I'm and sure it's, it's super super obnoxious it's like you know you and I've I've, I've talked at a a which is a, the big marketing thing I, I've talked to to CEOs and, and, and marketing directors at big national companies we've I mean we've worked with like global 500 companies with the site uh, telling stories around products and the amount of people who don't seem to understand authenticity authenticity <laughs> authenticity uh-huh. needs to be authentic like you actually have to have like Michael go out and tell the story that he would tell around your product and yeah give me some guard guardrails like don't say this or don't say that you know that's fine we we all have those things like you have some branding things you want to work in that that's one thing just like I'm sure the 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 painting company you know, the, the company that hired you said here's our colors here's our color palette this is kind of a rough concept and you it would interpret it so many of them just want to latch on to whatever the, the the creative person has and think that they can just manipulate it and it doesn't work i mean i've had this conversation with multiple brands like you give me you know stock photos and a, a storyline and it'll perform at X amount of you know views, uh, and then or, or give, let me go just tell a story in the way that I would like around a, a road trip or a destination or some historical artifact or something that's interesting that ties into your brand and include your brand in that story, something that standalone people will read because it's an interesting story, and it performs like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen hundred percent better, uh-huh. and they go. Well, yeah, that sounds good, but can you just still run our, our, our press release and our stock images? And they just, they don't care. You, you know, it's so systemic, though. It's like in, it's in every aspect of our lives now. Like the corporations have taken over. I mean, and, and that's no news. Yeah. We've all known that for years. But it's so obvious now that it's like everything is, is manipulated. And, you know, I think, I think in a way it's one of the roles of people involved in creative pursuits in the arts is to, you know, it's time for the rebellion. Well, 100%. I've had this conversation with a lot of either photographers or writers or other people that do creative creative design work and things like that is that you just have to start pushing back and have enough of us actually push back and tell them, no, we're not interested in doing that. You're not going to you're not going to saddle your you know, you know, Fifth at Madison Avenue you know, ad agency concept that, you know, again, has no basis in reality, mm-hmm. and that's the thing that drives me nuts. I mean, I did a I did a big project with a uh, a group that was doing some stuff with uh, NASCAR and things like that, and the people that were in charge of these huge budgets for this you know major Southern and Central America you know U.S. you know motorsport that's you know really followed in the South had had most of them never had been to a race, most of them had mm-hmm. never ever experienced it. Most of them had no clue what the culture was around it. And most of them openly expressed disdain for the customers that were there in the stands, Uh calling them names and mocking them. And I'm going, these are your customers that you're trying to sell stuff to. You've hired me and you're paying me a shit ton of money to come here to tell a story around this. And you just, you don't even invest your own time to get to know what you're trying to sell. Yeah, and it, it, it is. It's time for, you know, all of us that, I guess, make things look good, <laughs> it's time to stand up and just be like, nah, I'm not doing that no more. Because it's, it, it, you know, we've all contributed to the problem. I mean, not, I'm not all of us, I suppose. I mean, if, if you've, you know, just been um, 
you know, working on, you know, small projects for your buddy's businesses or something There's you know, that are small businesses, you know, maybe you dodged it. But so many sign painters, you know, when the sign painter movie came out and all of that, mm -hmm. you know, that became an international thing. And so many sign painters that, it, that, that were established got dragged into and you know and it was great in, in a sense that you know we all made some some money that was kind of money that we were never able to make doing our normal stuff yeah but to look at it now and it's just like you know hindsight's twenty twenty. but to look at it now i'm just like man you know i'm just not doing that going forward i'll, I'll work less I will, uh, you know, keep my bills low and, you know, I'll jump on my motorcycle and, you know, do a two week moto camping trip before I'll, you know, oh yeah, okay, I'll get on an airplane and go up to, you know, XYZ and work like a madman for your crazy deadline and all this stuff. It's just like, I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, it is always amazing to me that these like huge multi million dollar budget projects trickle down to like pay the actual people doing the physical work almost nothing mm -hmm. and they they for some reason only have like a two-week window it's like on the high yeah. end of when they need to get stuff done it's like you guys have been planning this for six months yeah you're calling me now and you're giving me two weeks to execute this whole entire thing it's yeah and the, and you know like i mentioned earlier you know of all of these large-scale high-profile companies that i've worked for and you know jumped through a lot of hoops for for over a decade like crickets all last year yeah. and I still got through fine, you know, but it, part of the reason was I'd already changed my mindset and, you know, got more into the, you know, lettering on vintage vehicles. Like I like to do, those mm -hmm. are just individual collectors and stuff. And I, I almost everything I'm doing now is just for small business owners again. Yeah. I mean, other than our, our kind of filler content on the site, we kind of, again, started doing the same thing. It was just focusing on telling more unique stories um, and cutting off these brands. I mean, it, like one of the guys I talked to, I was like, look, I, I've I put in a request for six months to get this vehicle to tell a story that's really unique around your vehicle. And you guys screwed me over. Like I literally planned this entire thing. Shoot, I had other people involved. I had a, a ranch we were going to use for this whole overlanding type of adventure. Uh -huh. And it's like you guys just pulled the plug on it because you had to move the vehicle for another another thing. I, I'm done. And I, and they're like, well, yeah, well, we'll still send you press photos and all this stuff. You can still write a story up. I was like, I'm done. Like, I, I you guys aren't even going to support me to go and tell. Like, I wasn't charging them for that story. I was trying to tell a really unique story I thought my readers would enjoy. Yeah. And I pointed out some of the people that had had the vehicle that had no followings, had no one reading their stuff, um, that were literally chosen just because they checked boxes off. Yeah. And uh, what I found so frustrating was I have to go through probably five or six layers of bureaucracy to actually talk to someone who can make a decision. And while I'm, I'm having this conversation, like literally on the phone with the guy at this brand uh, who can actually make a decision, he's really apologetic. And he was really disappointed that the story wasn't going to get done, but it was made like four decisions down from him that someone just made the call. Uh, I get an email from their PR department with another press release that they're, well, I hope you love to run this. Please send us a link when it's live. I said, look, I just got another message from your PR department when I can't even get you guys over weeks to answer me on creating content for you. So, But, but you know, it is, it is the symptom of 
the whole corporate structure, which is all about, it's all centered on profit. I mean, they're by law, they are required to put profit before everything else mm-hmm. for their shareholders. And the disconnect between, and I'm not, I'm not saying all corporations are bad. I have an iPhone, I, you know, like whatever. We yeah. still have to live in the real world. I'm not extreme with any of that stuff because it just, it is, it is what we have available to us kind of a thing. And I know there's other people who are like, well, let's go boycott. Blow. It's like, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is just this, the one thing that we can choose is our culture, Mm-hmm. that we ourselves are living by. Like, that's that's the one thing that um, is up to us that, you know, isn't being force-fed to us or being, you know, we're, we're, we're able to wake up every morning and say, how am I going to, you know, approach my day? Like, what's going on in my head? That's what I mean by culture. And it's, it that, again, it's that it's time to rebel. It's time to just be like, you know, I know that you've told me since I was born that like this is how you succeed and this is the car you should drive and this is you know all of the things mm-hmm. that we've been told are the, like the right choices and you know you'll be successful if you know that kind of nonsense and um the only way i think things are going to shift or change is if uh and especially the storytellers and you know the creative people that are putting the visuals out there is to just you know, John Galt it and just be like, no, I'm not, <laughs> not going to do it, you know? I mean, that's why I'm so so hopeful about, you know, again, and it, a lot of stuff that I, I'm able to do wouldn't happen without these giant corporations. So I agree, like, but le- leveraging their platforms and those resources to tell stories I think is so important. And I think that's why, like, sites like mine, like last year was probably the biggest year for traffic for my site, 2020, mainly because people were probably home, had nothing else mm-hmm. to do. But also I think one of the things that really kept my site kind of on track and, you know, the, the publication was didn't go political. Every every single thing, mm-hmm. I mean, automotive media, everyone was getting some type of political – I just want to tell stories. I, I really, I'm really not wanting to be a political person. Right. And, and especially, I'm telling stories about a mini sub or a vintage car race or something like that. There's no reason to inject those things into it. And so many of the sites that I've seen that have kind of imploded is that they, they, they somehow found a way to work that into it. And I think people were honestly so burned out on the 24-7 politics from all sides. Everything yeah, is political. Totally. And I, I think that was one of the biggest things that really helped us grow last year was that just myself and the couple of the contributors I had, we had a meeting. We sat down and said, hey, look, we, we all have our political opinions. We all have our political leanings. We all have who we vote for and all those things. So that's great. What does it have to do with a 1954, you know, you know, you know shoebox? What yeah. does it have to do with that? If there's, like, if there's, if there's a political angle to it, like, hey, you know, this law passed and affects, you know, classic car legislation. Yeah. That's about as political as we got. And we actually would get messages from people that were just like, hey, we're so, you know, we love the content. We're just so glad that we can go somewhere and just read about cars, or read about yeah. road trips, and read yeah. about that stuff. And I, I think that's the other thing too is that we've, we've kind of allowed ourselves to fall into that trap of what a lot of corporate media has done and it's it's warped a lot of people's perspectives about what matters and you know in in the grand scale of things you know my entire life who who was the president didn't affect things all that much in my daily life like the idea that we've tied so much to this um i guess political identity that everyone has is 
I think damaging, and I think it's it's limiting a lot for a lot of artists who feel like they have uh, a lens they have to kind of serve. And that's the kind of cool thing about sign painting. I think you guys get a little uh, get away with that a little bit because you're like, hey, paint a Dr Pepper sign. Okay, I'll paint a Dr Pepper yeah, sign, yeah. Uh, or, or reproduce this vintage race car's original livery. That's great. But I think for a lot of creatives, it, there has been a lot of stress, and how we kind of navigate that was just by not engaging. It, it's super stressful because it's a minefield, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I decided the same thing with the reboot of the podcast was like. Um, I just, I don't want that to be part of the narrative, you know, like, uh, like you said, everyone's got their own view and who they vote for or they don't vote or whatever it mm-hmm. is that has nothing to do with sign painting. That has nothing to do with creative pursuits. In my opinion, it, it, it's like it, it has no place in this dialogue to me. And I, and I don't want, I don't want it to turn into that, you know, because it, that is divisive. And we've seen that on steroids over the last year. Like, yeah. I, I know many people who have told me that they have friends that have stopped speaking to them right now because of, of slight variances in difference of view on certain subject matters. Not even like, well, I have this complete opposite view. They, yeah. They're just not completely aligned on something. And, and, you know, maybe they are on everything else. But this one particular issue, they're just not 100% on the same viewpoint. And their friends, like a lot of people have told me this over the last year, they have a lot of friends who have stopped talking to them and they won't interact on social media with them anymore and all this stuff. And I'm just like... This leads to absolute lunacy if if we stay on that trajectory. And I don't want to contribute to it, you know, with with this, you know, show. It's like my little sliver of yeah. voice in the world, which is tiny, but it's still, it's like, I just don't, I don't see that it's going to do any good. Yeah, that, that's like I said, the same decision that we made with the site was just to, let's, let's, let's tell stories about the things we like, mm-hmm. and that's it. And yeah, I think that formula worked really, really well. Um, we added some new kind of concepts to the site, some different you know things that were complementary, doing just different subject matter. And uh, I think that there is so much opportunity for people in the independent media and independent art because of the the leverage that we have now with the internet to, I mean, reach anybody. And uh, what I, one of the things I always tell like people who are coming to me like, how how do I get started writing? It's like just start writing about stuff. Just start sharing things you like. Because if you like it, there's an audience out there of people who like it, too. Yeah. Yeah, well, and that's, um, you know, I, 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 don't know, I don't know where we go from here either in the sense that there's just so much content out there. And there's so much, like, people trying to, like, rig the game mm-hmm. that there's so little heartfelt real content out there now. You know, you've got yeah. to really dig for it because there's just so much other noise. So, you know, whether it's a podcast or a video or an article or whatever, you you just have this mountain of stuff that you got to just be like, you start reading like you're two paragraphs in, you're like, oh no, this is just yeah. this is a this is a poorly veiled advertisement for X Y Z. This isn't even an article, you know. And there's so yeah. much of that now. Well, and I think that that's one of the things that you kind of have to accept is that you're going to have a smaller audience. Uh, everyone wants that huge click throughs. I mean, that, and that's why so much of our mainstream media is, you know, clickbait, crazy titles. You won't believe what they mm-hmm. did. And you're like, okay. Um, but I mean, that, that's why like I can pick and choose the stories I want. That's why I work for myself because 
Uh, I've I've got friends that work for some of these big publications, and they're literally sitting in an office in New York. Well, probably at home now, but they were sitting in an office in New York. Four or five people jammed in this tiny space, and they had to write eight to twelve stories a day based off whatever press releases were coming in off the newswire. Oof. So just that content mill of constantly cranking out stuff you don't care about. It's got to kill you. Yeah. And, you know, I would rather, like I said, I'd rather go out and tell a story about a road trip, um, you know, to Williams, Arizona, and go shoot actual photographs of it because people people respond to that, and the people like to read that, and people will share that. And I, I like to think that I haven't really created a lot of the clickbait content that, you know, get, I, I've never, I guess, had a story that was shared because it was like, Divisive, and it was being shared like you won't, you know, screw these guys, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I like that my stories get shared because people see value in them, and people like the photography, and people like the destination, or they like the the perspective on things. And you know, you just got to kind of keep putting that out there. It's it cuts through the noise eventually, and you find your 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 kind of core audience, and they be, really become your evangelists and, and push it out there to the rest of the world. And you know, it's it is noisy out there, but Again, we've seen it with all these big, big publications with their massive layoffs, and you know, I mean, there's one of our biggest competitors is, is a big website that's part of another group of websites, and they've lost 152 million dollars in like five years. How I don't know, but How? but Holy they, they they get bought out, they lose 100 million dollars. Another investment group comes in, buys them, re, repackage them, lays a bunch of people off. Cranks out a bunch of garbage content. Nobody really wants to read. It's all, all clickbait. And then they lose another $50 million and get bought by another hedge fund. And yeah. it's it's just, you know, pe- people do respond to the clickbait stuff because there's that rage, you know, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue on the Internet people that will always do that. But the, the only answer is integrity. Yeah. Like I mean, it, it, and it always comes back to that. Like as human beings, the only thing that ever really stands test time and matters is integrity <laughs> like the the minute that that people like uh set aside whatever their passion was that got them into something and you know it all becomes about money like it just turns to crap and no one wants it yeah and i mean th- there's obviously money does make the world go around you to the fun things but you know being able to be independent and pick and choose those things even who advertises even who uh, you know, buys ads on our sites and things like that. You know, we we have a lot more flexibility to kind of control that integrity, you know, aspect of it. I mean, I, I've got so many friends who I talk to that, that are part of the writers' associations and you know, photographer groups that just are are so numb now because they've been for so long cranking out content that they're really not passionate about. But you know, they've got a mortgage and that, you know, the car payment and all that stuff, so they're just going to keep plugging away doing it. So how do you change it? Well, that's the one thing like I keep encouraging people to do is just be independent. Create even if you're working for someone else, if you have the ability, you know, if you're not under some like contract, you know, contractual agreements, start your own site, start sharing your own stories, start finding your own audience so that you can eventually, you know, monetize it to your to yourself and get out of working for these big organizations. I mean, I think we see it when you look at some of the quality on some of these sites. I mean, and I'm I never never want to pretend like I'm the greatest writer in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. I I I have tons of typos and uh, I've written stuff that I'm like, "Oh man, I got to rewrite that. That's not good." You know, 5 years later. But 
the fact that I, I found an audience means that almost anyone can find an audience. And well, you, you have a pretty big audience. Like, like you've told me before, how many how many people go to your so, site every month? So we have a, roughly about two hundred and forty thousand unique visitors a month that come to the website and read something there. Um, most people see one to two pages based on our analytics. Uh, and then social media wise, we we through the stories being shared and things like that, we have about a seven million a month impression. Yeah, see, so that's that's a so it's it's big audience. It's it's a pretty big audience, but in the world of internet, it's a it's a tiny tiny audience. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. But it's it's. But I mean, if somebody was starting a blog today, they would kill for that kind oh, of. Oh yeah, I mean, know, reach. And, and and that type of reach is enough to generate you know ad revenue and things like that. Uh, but I I've been really more focused on who my demographics are and you know tailoring the content to the my, my core my core audience because those are the people that are going to share it and be more involved and, and and that's one thing that I think people have to to really just make a decision about who they're writing for what the kind of stories they want to share and just do it and again if, if you have a job where you're writing for a big magazine that's great and I hope that works out well for you but if you're not out creating your own content somewhere and sharing it and sharing the stories that matter to you it's going to kill you just writing about, you know, whatever assignment you get that week. Yeah, like, yeah, soul-sucking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for me, I, I I like the fact that, you know, I come down here, I did a story on you, just because, like, this guy's super cool. He's doing really cool stuff in, you know, a small town that I pass through here in Texas. And that's a unique story. And it was, it's one of the most viewed sites of last, uh, stories of last year. People oh, really cool. responded to it, really enjoyed it because it was different. And, you know, there wasn't anyone else telling that story in my category, really. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that's what I like to seek out is those unique stories that are different. I mean, one of our, I've got stories that'll sometimes pop back up from 2014 and be trending on the site because, no one else has told it since then, and someone started searching for it, and then it got shared again. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I hadn't thought about it, but, you know, I've, I've gotten a lot of, uh, you know, different requests from different magazines, blogs, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and, yeah, there's there oddly, there is very uh, few um, who've ever approached me in the automotive, like, world about the work that I do on vehicles, which is a huge chunk of the work that I do in the studio. And I, I find that really strange. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Is it, is it, is it because either out of necessity or just like, is it because everyone is just focusing on, I'm going to do an, an article on the new, you know, GPS that so-and-so made so that I can get, you know, revenue for that? Or like, why aren't they seeking out interesting aspects of something like automotive like you know like the people behind the scenes that are part of the whole thing as opposed to it there's so much of it in the auto world when i go on you know blogs or sites that's just products yeah well i mean a lot of it is is budgetary um and a lot of it is driven by marketing you know who their who their audience who or who their audience of marketers are and honestly, a lot of it, I, I've talked about this for years because I grew up working in the classic car industry. My dad uh, still works and consults in classic car industry. I'm, I built cars for the SEMA show. I've designed cars for, you know, that have been featured in magazines. I, I've been in the classic car world for a long time. And um, going back to one of my first jobs, I was working at California Mustang, and I was the youngest person working there. And I think a lot of it is, is that the classic car industry is, is really, really bad at 
reaching the younger audience. I mean, if you're a car guy, your dad's a car, it's usually because your dad or your mom was into cars and they had an old car and then you like old cars. But that, that generation, it's kind of a, um, I guess you'd say it's like attrition. You know, it's just the industry is just, you know, going on, you know, dying off. And a lot of it has to do, I think, with like a lot of the Barrett Jackson mentality is that, you know, if, if I'm a kid and I'm flipping around, I'm kind of liking, I kind of like cars. And I flip on the, the, the news or TV and I see a, a 65 Ford Mustang selling for $78,000 mm-hmm. on Barrett Jackson. I'm going to think that's something that's unobtainable. Right. And I, I think that's one place where the, the classic car magazines, which almost all of them are bankrupt and gone. I mean, think about, think about just 15 years ago. How many classic car magazine titles there were? Mm-hmm. I mean, Source, Interlink, and all those—they've all been absorbed and bought out, and absorbed and bought out. And I mean, Mustang—I mean, there used to be—we used to advertise at California Mustang in probably eight different classic Mustang magazines, mm-hmm. and now there's none. There is classic Mustangs and Fords. I think it, the same thing is heading the same direction in the motorcycle world, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like I, I've stopped subscribing to motorcycle magazines. You know, I, I really liked Adventure Rider and yeah. you know all these different magazines that you could kind of like, you know. And it's dwindled down to where it used to be like the writer would be like, okay, I'm gonna tent camp and ride this bike from here to here and take great photos of like all these different spots those have dwindled down to like a little one page blurb now yeah and all of the rest is just it's all product crap advertorial yeah yeah. that yeah exactly like you you can tell immediately it's like you don't give a crap about this you're not trying to like share this like this was a really great xyz for that you could get it's just okay i'm i'm basically paying and subscribing to a magazine that is just, I'm paying for them to advertise to me. This is stupid. Yeah, and I'm kind of back to the original question of, like, why has that happened? Why is no one seeking out these stories? Is that the budgets have shifted. I mean, nobody's marketing in those. I mean, Google and Facebook have absorbed pretty much all your ad dollars now. Mm. I mean, it's hard for me to sell direct ads on my site because... People will just rather, it's easier for, I mean, people are lazy inherently. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just going to, I can go on Google, I can put in these parameters, and I can pay them five grand a month instead of having to go seek out good content and learn websites and build relationships and say, yeah, this is a person who I'm going to advertise with because I like their content, I like what they're doing. And that's how it used to be in the magazine industry. I mean, I used to, you know, do ad buying and, and do some of the advertising stuff with the, the classic car side of things. And we had an ad sales rep and we had all this infrastructure that was built in for advertising in print magazines. And that's all gone now because everyone's just shifted everything online. So print magazines, I mean, your revenue is just slashed. So they don't have a budget to pay someone a full salary to write a column once a month. Mm-hmm. They don't have some. They, I mean, they don't have a budget to send someone out here to take photos and spend a day with you. Th- that guy's got to be ra- writing eight or nine stories a day based on press releases for products that have been released to pump them out on the internet so that people who are searching for you, know, f- you know, best motorcycle GPS will find their story maybe and click on that instead of clicking on the other forty-five stories about best motorcycle GPSs. So that's that's when the shift is. Is that. The storytellers are still out there. It's just they're almost all independent now, and 
you know, I, I write for a couple other publications. Uh, a lot of them are pro bono because they just don't have the budget. But I like the publications. I see value in being in those publications and, and contributing to them and, and, and sharing stories that I care about in those publications, even if I'm not getting paid for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in, I'm in a situation where I can afford to do that. Um, a lot of a lot of writers um, aren't, and it's sad because I know there's a lot of really talented writers out there that would love to be telling these really unique stories, uh, but the, the 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 funding mechanism isn't there. Uh, and and again, like kind of going back to how everything shifted politically, like the political ads, the the, the advertising cycle's done. So a lot of for for the for the election, so ad revenues have dropped just after that. I mean, they dropped significantly during. You know, even even my site was seeing more more political ads being placed to the AdSense and things like that automatically. So all that money gets absorbed out of it, and you know you kind of have this weird cyclical advertising thing that's really again driven by that political side of things and things like that. So a lot of these magazines that you know existed just are gone, and they don't have any funding to go tell those great stories anymore. I mean, there's very few publications. I mean, I subscribe to about four or five magazines still that I get. Um, but I can tell you about probably 15 or 20 that good friends of mine or people that I know uh, have started and put together these beautiful, really high-end magazines. But again, who wants to pay for content? I'm not going to pay $25 for this really nice, high-quality high paper printed magazine when I can just, you know, sell it. I got an Alfa Romeo on the cover. I'll just Google 67 Alfa Romeo and read whatever comes up. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. It, it, we're in a state of transition, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of that, but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm uh, I, I'm pretty stubborn by nature. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of like how I am, and um, I'm just at the point where it's like, you know, this this type of work's all I've ever known, and uh, you know, I made a decision in 2005 to just stubbornly, you know, I'm going to open a st- the studio that I have now and I'm just going to only do hand-painted work and I don't care if I starve, and I did, you know, and um, I'm just at this point where it's like I just see so so much stuff that has no heart and soul all around us, and I know I'm not the only one, like everybody senses it, you can have conversation with a complete stranger and bring this stuff up and they'll just go on and on about it too. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not going to change until people like, uh, just stop participating and I'm, I'm not going to participate anymore. It's just like, I, I, there's so much awesome, like great stuff in life. If you just get out there and do it, you know, and I'm just, yeah. this whole thing that that has become like what we call culture. It's not culture. It's just it, it's it, consumerism. It's consumerism. Yeah. That's not culture. Yeah. Like culture, culture doesn't uh, doesn't require a financial exchange. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, I, I look at that too. I mean, I, I've shifted a lot of my my buying habits and things like that too. And just I look at it as. You know, do I need this? Am I going to have this in five years? I mean, I, I, I'm, when I moved out to Texas, I did have a huge self audit of just mm-hmm. all the stuff that I had. Right. Um, and outside of like books, which I'm a huge book nerd, I've got tons and tons and tons and way too many books, a lot of yeah. art books and photography books and travel books. Uh, I, and, and I love having paper books yeah, and, and reading things. Um, I did this huge audit and, and 
I mean, I, I donated or threw away truckloads of stuff that, uh, that was represented tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And I'm going, wow. And, you know, I, I looked at it, like I'd gone to Japan and was uh, living over there for a while. And I'd come back and I was like, all that stuff sat in storage the entire time I was there. I missed none of it. Forgot you had 90% yeah. of it till you opened it back up. But we, we, we've really have kind of created this, um, this juggernaut in our culture of, you know, you're, you're, you're only interesting as the last thing you're bought. And the, to me, that is, is, is so damaging. I mean, one of the things I always kind of share about kind of along those lines is I love cars, but I hate car people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I say that because I, I, I do love I love I, I love cars. I've had 140 different cars since I was 14, everything from old Austin Healy's to Alfa Romeo's to Lancia's to Zagato's and weird, weird stuff. Um, and for me, what's was it was interesting about it was what if someone made this, someone designed this. There was something unique about each car. Even the worst car in the world had a whole team that made that car happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like the people who are, their identity is tied to. Yeah, I got a Pantera. Yeah, I'm the Pantera guy. And it was it was something that kind of clicked in my head when I was in the car business selling cars. We had this guy who was the Pantera guy. And he would come by at least once a month to the dealership, pull in, back into the front, and get out and wait for someone to come out to talk to him about his Pantera so he could validate himself for having Well, the, that's uh, the other thing. That's a spiritual issue. You know? Yeah. Like, you, you got... You got ego way out of whack here buddy like you, uh, totally. your, your your cars and out your identity but so many people their their vehicle their job their title their status um that's kind of what we built our entire modern culture around is like the things you have instead of the things you do and the things yeah. you create and that that's why um like my first trip out to nepal was in 2019 in the spring and that was such an incredible um, recalibration for me mm-hmm. because uh, it really underscored what I had already been moving towards for several years of just kind of getting my priorities straight and realizing, like, it's the experiences in life that count. Yeah, 100%. Like, that's all that counts, really, because, you know, I mean, there's... Uh, you you can have anything crop up tomorrow, you know, a major health problem. You can have, you know, uh, some financial calamity. You can have a death of a loved one, you know, whatever it is. Um, and it's really all about the experiences that you're building in life with the people that mean something to you and all of that. That's all there is. And, you know, not to get too, you know existential about sure. it but i mean that's that's really all there is and so th- this lie that we've been told over and over and over for many decades that um life is this crap that you need to buy from us like it, that's a that's a that's a lie on such a bad evil level yeah. <laughs> because what you're doing is you're taking away what's meaningful to people and telling them, no, 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 you don't need that. You need this from us and you need to send us $500 and then you're going to be happy. And of course, no one's ever happy just trying to do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's one thing I I, I would always encourage everybody to do is travel more. Um, 
you know, and it doesn't need to be. Uh, unfortunately, so many people like, oh, yeah, I just can't afford to travel. It's like, well, yes, you can. It's really actually pretty cheap to travel. Yeah. It's like, unless you're trying to book yourself a luxury resort and a brand new rental car. Um, I was very fortunate that my parents really encouraged um, me to do service when I was younger. Um, I was in Boy Scouts and did a lot of community service that way. But then uh, the first thing I, uh, one of the first things I did internationally was I did a mission trip to Nicaragua. All right. Uh, back in 1998, <laughs> so it's been a while, and it was through a church group that we were affiliated with, and we were down building infrastructure in schools in remote parts of Nicaragua, and that really did kind of shift a lot of my thinking as 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 growing up as a young adult, and kind of, and I've worked with that organization now. I mean, I still currently work with them almost every single year. I go back down there and work with them, uh, and it's it's a whole different group of people now. But I think if more people would would travel the and go to actual places where people people are smiling ear to ear living in a dirt floor hut that's made out of flattened barrels uh-huh. um, and they're 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 enjoying themselves and they're finding the joy in the simple things and their children and also that that connection of understanding that most people are pretty much the same they all just want their kids to do better than they did. They all just want to be safe and left alone and ability to create things and, and have their own lifestyle and all that stuff. Uh, I think that that's a huge thing that a lot of Americans are missing out on. I think that's part of the, the symptom of this culture that we see of this just kind of shallow materialism that really makes people cling on to the wrong things and well, leaves and, them unfulfilled. And you're making a very valid point. And to take it even one step further, you don't even have to go somewhere exotic. Yeah. You know, um, years ago, one of my first major moto camping trips, you know, I was on a $400 Kawasaki (laughs) 400 that I bought in San Francisco, 440 that I bought in San Francisco. Um, That was my sole transportation for years because I was so broke. And... uh, I just would I would drive all over and I would camp on Bureau of Land Management land, which is free for every American citizen. If you don't know about it, look it up. Yeah. You can go camp there for free. So really all you're looking at is your gasoline to get somewhere, which may just be 100 miles down the road from you. You can go camp there for free, take along some cheap groceries, and, like, there you go. There's a first excursion. But in the process... Our country is so diverse and it has so many super interesting twists and turns of, you know, little towns that were settled by people from this part of the world or that part of the world. It's all over Texas, too. Um, there's so much out there and, and, and people are so freaking interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can just go to anywhere and if you spend a little bit of time in some rundown cafe talking to the person next to you, you find all sorts of interesting stories, you know, surface. And all of that, you know, costs nothing really other than, you know, taking some, carving out a little bit of time, some gasoline, and make yourself some bologna sandwiches if you have to. Yeah. But you can do it. You know, it's it's accessible. You know, the, the long distance trips I did years ago uh, and, and still do uh, moto camping, like, they don't cost hardly anything. Yeah. No, I, I, I at t- 2016 um, was a big transitional year for me, and I, I decided to take a bunch of time off. And one of the things I did was, uh, because of my website and because I can write, I actually arranged to borrow a motorcycle from a manufacturer. 
uh, and do a cross-country road trip on a 250cc Chinese-made <laughs> motorcycle. Okay. But it was like I, I kind of wanted to re- repro- re- reproduce the trips that my dad took in the 70s because my dad did a cross-country lap around America in the 70s on a Harley uh-huh. Sportster. And my grandfather, I, I have his jacket. He, he's passed away now, but I have his jacket, and it's got all of his ride pins from nice. all over the 60s, from Mexico and the United States, all over the place. And it and so I wanted to kind of go and have that experience myself. And it was so much fun taking this little open face helmet, my grandfather's goggles, um, and a 250cc basically replica of a Honda CB series motorcycle, little cafe racer. And I just cruised back roads through Kentucky and, you know, West Virginia and there, Georgia. There's and this guy I, I, I subscribe to on YouTube. And right now he's currently doing this. He's done multiple round the world long long distance trips on a C90. Nice. And it's a total piece of crap and he's still riding the same one and right now he's going from Alaska to the southern tip of Argentina. And th- this bike I, it couldn't have cost him more than $200. Yeah. And but he's tr- literally traveling the world and has been doing it for years and years and he's this young UK kid from the uk super goofy awesome personality but you know i i've i've met and known people that have done like cross country there's another uh youtube channel that i follow of uh, it's a husband and a wife and their kid and they're traveling the world and in, in tent camping on bicycles and they're like in year six now or something oh, wow. like it i i I think that's one of the great things that happened in our country in the 60s, um, you know, as all these guys were coming back from Vietnam, disillusioned, stressed out, so many of them just, like, traveled for a couple of years like that. You know, they just jump on a cheap old crappy motorcycle, and they would just travel the country. And I think that's like I think that's where we're at. Like people need to just pull up stakes and be like, you know what? Yeah. I'm gonna go see some things. I'm gonna experience life. You know, I'm gonna get out of the bubble. And it doesn't take a lot of money. I can do this on the cheap. And people need to do it. Absolutely. I mean, I I've I've been a big proponent of people getting out of the major cities and. You know, revitalizing these smaller towns. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I bought my building. It's one of the reasons why you're here. It's like, you know, there's so much opportunity in these smaller towns and so many stories and unique things you can see. And, I mean, I don't understand how people don't have kind of an innate need to see things. I've just, at me, I've always been kind of that way. Like, I want to see it all myself. I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to talk to people. I want to taste the food. I want to go those places. Uh, so I've been very fortunate that through some of my work, and things, I've, I've been able to travel all over the world. Um, and, and experience this stuff, but th- there has to be that um, almost spirit of adventure that needs to come back, like you're, you're talking about, and just go out and just try things and, and visit places. And I think it would help our country a lot if people that you know would get out of L.A., New York, San Francisco, Portland, and just go visit a town of four thousand people. Yeah, and you'll you'll realize something in the process too. Those people aren't nuts. They're not yeah. dangerous. They're not horrifying. Sure, they may have different views than you, whether it's political, religious, whatever, but they're they're normal, interesting, intriguing human beings yeah. that have something to share, and you'll you'll get something out of it. And you know, uh, it would be thrilling to see 
people starting to to do that i think because it, yeah. it'll unify people again too and that's the huge thing we're lacking everybody hates each other over stupid stuff well i think we're seeing it a lot i mean i, I was just reading a story about uh the people people are moving i mean people are moving all over and for the first time uh, in years you know texas and florida have always been kind of the big destinations people move to mainly like people retiring and things like that but tennessee was the fir- was number 1 last year of mm. people moving from different states was it really yeah tennessee for the first time beat texas and florida and uh, boise boise idaho is growing like crazy and all these all these places that were again you know flyover flyover states, states. Yeah, yeah exactly well, our our places people are kind of rediscovering I'm like, yeah, I, I've been road tripping through these places for years. Yeah. They're really cool. I mean, uh, I, I was, again, I think pretty fortunate with my parents. We had family in like Prescott, Arizona and in Texas and all this stuff. So we would travel and visit family and cousins and stuff all over the place and kind of experience these small towns. So for me, it's just kind of always been a way of life. But I've got friends who are in their 30s now that, you know, the farthest they've ever been from Los Angeles is Las Vegas. And they've never got off the freeway on the yeah, way there. And yeah. to, to, to me, I think if we can get more people kind of out and exploring and, I mean, visiting, I mean, the Southwest alone, I mean, just yeah, has so much to what? see. Go out and take photos and post them. Yeah. And, and, and do it just for the pleasure of doing it and sharing it with your friends and not try to turn it into some <laughs> it, side hustle. It you know, doesn't just, need to be monetized. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like do something just that's cool that you can share with people, you know. And I, I, um, I'm not just talking because last night I took home my new Suzuki um, V-Strom. Oh, cool! Because I'm I'm selling my Indian and I'm gonna equip the V-Strom and I'm gonna go back to doing the long distance rides every chance I get because that's way way better. Uh, than trying to engage with all this chaos. Like, I'm going to continue to do my work, and I'm going to continue to, like, push myself creatively on all my projects and everything that I've always done. But I'm also going to, like, I'm going to, I'm going to like, live more. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the best thing you could do. I mean, we're, we're in a, a society that is so constantly pounded with media and, and noise and all this stuff. And motorcycles are great because, you know, you really can't take phone calls. Mm-hmm. And exactly. <laughs> you, you jump on it and kind of just disappear for an and, hour or and, two. Unless you have, like, a mental illness and you decide to, like, get one of those smart helmets that no. can talk on your <laughs> phone, it's like, nope, I'll yeah. put it in my pocket and I can answer it, you know, two hours from now when I stop for gas. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's... That's the best thing about motorcycles, even and old cars too. I mean, I, I I've always I've got an old Austin Healey that we're working on, and you know that's the great greatest thing about it. It doesn't have a radio, mm-hmm. doesn't have Bluetooth, doesn't have all the stuff that is great. I love all that stuff, but yeah. every once in a while you just kind of want to just go out on the road and clear your head. Um, it, it's just so nice. That's one thing I love about Texas. I grew up in Southern California in the in the countryside, which is all now houses. So I love that I can you know literally drive thirty minutes and be. In the middle of nowhere, and you can and, and see just, a cow, and see a cow, and see yeah. the stars at night, and all that stuff. Yeah, they're big and bright. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, carving out some time. I know you're like super busy guy. You're always running, doing something. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. I mean, it's uh, always fun to come down and check out what's new at the studio. There's always something fun happening here. Yeah, I got some. I got some cool stuff in the works. So awesome. uh, Next time you come by, you'll be able to see some prog- progress stuff. I I just had a client drop off a old late 1800s safe that I'm going to do a full restoration on. That one's going to be a really neat one to work on, but it's going to take me months because you got all the all of the prep and drying time between each stage. Safe's take a long time. Yeah, that's beautiful, though. 
Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. All right, well, thank you. Okay, Hepcats, this is the part of the show where we play a song from the Arhuli archive, so pay attention. You can get these tunes from the legendary Arhuli records at arhuli.com. Now sit back, open up some one shot, crank up the volume, and expand your minds, babies. Hey, Arhooker! Yeah, man! Where you been so long, man? Oh, man, I've been out there in 1919 West Taylor. What you been doing out there, man? Oh, man, I was out there messing around with Rand and Dr. Newhouse, man. I had to get rid of them two bugs and that roach I had. How you do that? Oh, man, I hit it something like this, Jack. And that bug is sold too. Well, let me see you get a little funky with it now. Okay, baby. This is where I got rid of that bug.
way to kill that bug. What kind of bug that was, man? What kind of bug was it? That's that thing they call a TB bug. Boy, he was a monster. Kind of That's right, baby. I think we got rid of him though. Ow! Kill that bug.